I'm going to ask if you would to open up in your Bibles to, to Romans chapter 3. Chapter 3. Man, I, I worked on this and worked on it and I asked questions and I called friends. Uh, I, I, I mean, just wrestled and wrestled and wrestled with this passage as I should as I am preparing for it. But listen, at the end of the day on Friday, when I went home, I left with this beautiful reminder. And thank you, David, for last week. Okay, David, wonderful proclaimer of the gospel. He also is highly intelligent. I left with the knowledge of this. You don't have to be that smart to preach the gospel. Praise the Lord. Okay, so I, I, I left with my outline. Uh, you know, that I'm, I'm pretty sure that given that it's Beautiful Chaos Sunday, one of our kids could have written. Um, and and I, I think, I think that may be a good point for us to be reminded of today. This is one of the most difficult texts in all of Scripture to hear. It's not one of the most difficult texts in all of Scripture to understand or grasp what's being said. I feel fully confident that I could read it to you and drop the mic. And it would be sufficient. Okay? Some of you are like, would you do that? That would be awesome. I'm not. I'm not going to do that. But I could. Okay, I could. This is a wonderful text. And, and, and I, several goals for today. Several goals. I, I want to share them with you. A goal that I have and I believe is possible Because of who our God is, I believe that today that the Lord has the power and the grace available to bring people in this room who do not know saving faith in Jesus Christ to himself. I believe that God can save someone today. There's a goal that I have today in proclaiming this text that people would know Jesus, that they would find freedom in Jesus, that they would be lavished in the grace that comes through believing the gospel. Goal number one. Goal number two would be for all of us, every single person in the room, that we would leave with a more bitter taste of sin and a sweeter taste for the gospel of Jesus. You know, I love the quote. I thought it was Keith Pugh, but it was Thomas Watson. I'm just kidding. Uh, I knew it was Thomas Watson. Thomas Watson, a Puritan, he, he said this. He said, until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. The desire today as we look at God's word and and we ask for God's help is that he would allow us by his grace and power to see our sin is bitter and Christ is sweet. Thirdly, goal would be this. Third goal is that we would leave with a greater love for our brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. I believe that what can happen is, uh, is this. And by the way, feel no shame, part of beautiful chaos. Okay, I get it. Three girls at home, PBS kids all the time going on. So I get it, I get it. Okay, no problem. All right, listen, uh, third thing is that we leave the greater love for our brothers and sisters. I think it's very possible that you can know the gospel, you can know truth, you can uh, sit in the community of saints and yet still somehow look down upon people. You can still somehow go, you know, I in some way deserve grace, but that person over there, they don't. That person over there, look at how they look, look at how they're dressed, look at how they're this, look at how they're that. They're not worthy of it, but somehow I am. May the Lord 
today, by his grace, has us leave here, have, have us leave here with a greater love for our brothers and sisters. Knowing this, I'll say it up front, we are all on a level playing field here. We're all on a level playing field, okay? Fourthly, that you would leave with a desire for the world to come to know Jesus and praise him as Lord. That you would leave here with a desire for people to know Jesus. That you would leave here desiring that people who do not have the praise of Jesus on their lips, that they would because they heard and they believed. That's the desire. So we're gonna to pray to that end and then we're gonna we're gonna jump in. Father, may you, may you, because you are good, because you're a God who is by your grace given us this word, that you desire us to come to know and love you. Father, you loved us first. May we now come to love you better. God, give us the ability, give us the grace to see you and to believe and to walk by faith this day. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, today will be will come as a relief to some of you who over the past few weeks you may have said, "Wow, how much are we going to talk about how bad our sin is?" Okay? I want you to know the relief does not come in that we're not going to talk about how bad our sin is. In fact, we're going to talk about how it's worse than you even thought. But the relief is going to come in this, is that you will see as we move through this text that until we see the bitterness of our sin, we will not recognize the sweetness that comes through the gospel of Jesus. Before the end of the text today, we will hear this good news that Paul has told us about in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, about this righteousness that is outside of us, this good news of righteousness that we need. And from verse 18 of chapter 1 until verse 20 of of chapter three, Paul is given a breakdown of what our problem is, the condition that we're born in. And and here it is, church, listen. It's why we need good news. Like Like that's what he's given us. From chapter one, verse 18 until chapter uh, three, verse 20, Paul is given a breakdown of why we need to hear of good news of a righteousness that exists outside of us. That's what he's doing. So as a reminder, remember chapter one, uh, and, and let, me, let me go back, back up one step. When this was given to the church at Rome, so Paul would have written this letter, it would have gone to the church at Rome, someone would have read this out loud. It would have been read out loud to the church. Now, I don't know what kind of room they were in, but let's just imagine for a minute that it's this room, okay? And so they're sitting in a room and they are listening to this letter being read. Now, as this letter is being read, you must understand the setting of who is hearing it the context of where we are. And in the room would have been people that grew up with, a, with Jewish heritage and they would have had a background of law, okay? Also in the room, 
maybe even primarily in the room, you would have a room full of people who grew up outside of the Jewish faith. They would have been a people grew up. They were Gentiles. Okay. They're like us, unless you are a Jew by heritage in the room, you're a Gentile. And they would have grown up really apart from outside of the law. And so they probably didn't grow up the same way. And, and so what we know is that in the room, there were people with different worldviews, at least up until this point, uh, they had, they had been raised differently. They had different thoughts about life. Uh, they, they had all kinds of differences as we do in this room. There, there are many different stories, many different lives that have intersected and, and, and that makes up Alberta Baptist Church. And we have lots of different stories. And that would have been the case for this group. And there was a major breakdown when it came to those who were Jews and those who were Gentiles and how the gospel impacts their life. And so Paul begins this argument about why we need a righteousness that comes from outside of us. And he begins to talk uh, or, or they would have been hearing Paul's words here read about these pagan people, these immoral people, these idolaters who, though they knew that God was uh, the creator, they didn't worship him as creator, they worshiped created things instead. These people who were really immoral, these people who did, uh, they were sexually immoral, they were, they were people who were uh, violent, they were murderers, they were slanderers, they were all of these things. And you can just imagine the finger pointing that must have been going on, at least in people's hearts. Okay, so let's just assume they weren't like actually pointing like, oh, that's talking about them on the front row. Like it, it probably wasn't that, oh, that's talking about them, you know, four rows back. Uh, it, they probably weren't actually pointing, but you can imagine the finger pointing that was going on in their hearts. As Paul gets to the end of Romans 1, he begins to say things like those who gossip, those who are disobedient to parents. And you can imagine probably some, hopefully some, begin to have those fingers just start kind of, oh, was I pointing? I don't know. You know, like, like that kind of thing. And, and, and some humility to begin to creep in. But overall, still some people, and you know how that is because you can be that person where you're just closed off to truth, having any effect on you, it's just on them. Okay, well, that's what was probably taking place. And so we've got the Jews probably thinking, oh, yeah, Preach it, Paul. Tell the Gentiles how sinful they are. Then we get to chapter two, which Pastor Keith and David did such a great job at proclaiming the truth that's found there. And chapter two exposes, no, it's not just the pagan outsider. It's not just the Gentile. It's you. It's the Jews. It's those who know the law. And, and, and listen, I, I was just trying to even think of how to summarize what David said last week, but, but here's what I got. In, in, the, in chapter two, for the Jew, the one who thought they were above judgment, they would have thought they were above judgment due to their birthright, due to the outward marking of circumcision. These verses that they were overhearing, these verses that was being read aloud to them, it must have come like a light shining in the darkness, exposing the hypocrisy of their own hearts and their lives. And it must have come down like a hammer, crushing the religious identity and the religious activity that they had trusted in for salvation. Now they're left as we were left last week with this truth. And, and, and it goes something like this, is that the only hope we have in light of the judgment that we've heard about, in, the light, in light of the judgment that we know of, in the wrath of God uh, against our sin, the only safe place to rest in light of this is found in faith, in, in, the, in placing our faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. 
placing our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Today, here in Romans 3, man, I, I, love, I love this text. We're going to come in, and, and this is kind of like, imagine, any, any baseball fans in the room? Got any baseball fans? Raise them high, raise them high, raise them high. Uh, there's like four of you, good. Um, that's, why, that's why it comes on that station that it does right now, the World Series. Uh, yeah, I'm not really into baseball anymore at this point either. I have been sucked in a little bit. My, I've got some family that, are, that live in Chicago, and I know they're huge Cubs fans, and, and I, I'm, I'm pulling for the Cubs. I'm, it's not looking good for them. But, but here's what I know. Is, uh, is, is this, is, is that the way that baseball works, at least in the last uh, you know, couple of decades, is the, the closer has become a really important part of a team. Now, that, that's not always been the case for the history of baseball, but at least in really my lifetime, it's always been a big deal that at the end of the game, if you're in the lead, you bring in a closer and he, he finishes out. So we've got Rivera of the Yankees for a long time. If you're a baseball fan, like he was unstoppable. He'd come in, you had no chance. Okay. He would strike you out. That, that's how it went. This is kind of Paul's bringing in the closing arguments here. Okay. He's coming in at the end of the game and he's saying, this is my, this is my last stance here about why you need good news. And I want you to hear what he says. And so let's read the text together. If you will follow along with me as I read chapter three, verses one through 25. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Well, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. Verse six says, by no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come as some people slanderously charge us with saying? Now, what I wanna do is this. This is a a three minute pre-sermon to our outline that we have, okay? And it goes something like this. If you want to write notes, please do, okay? Finding rest in the safety of the gospel or finding rest in the reality that God is bringing judgment against our sin oftentimes comes after wrestling with the hard questions of our hearts. Now, I believe that Paul knows this. And so those first eight verses, though we're not really gonna spend more than a couple minutes on them, I believe they are important. And and what's happening is this, is Paul's a, a really good evangelist. He's a good pastor. And he knows, he anticipates questions that are gonna be coming from those that hear. And these people that just heard that my entire religious identity and my entire life of doing religious activities, they all just got crushed and they're left with this, thought and they go, so does nothing matter? 
Does nothing that I've done matter? You know, anything that I've done in my life, does it not matter anymore? What I believe, does it not matter anymore? Uh, my, my faith, my family, my, does it not matter? And they start asking these really hard questions. And at the end of it, what Paul says is this, is he goes, no, no, it was a total advantage for you to grow up the way you did. And this is why, because you had God's word. You had God's word and he assures them that God can be trusted with what you've heard thus far. God is good and God is doing something and he's revealing something to you that you need. This is good for your heart. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to come to Paul with questions. It's okay to come to your pastor with questions. It's fine to do that. Ultimately know this, it is great to go to God with your questions. He is big enough for your questions and we can go to him with them. And oftentimes for us to find rest in the gospel, we have to struggle through some of the questions of our heart. When you hear truth like we look like we're looking at today about judgment about our sin and about the need for the gospel in fact just the title everyone needs the gospel when you hear that it should bring up a lot of questions about your life especially if you have people in your life that they don't know the gospel and there are all kinds of questions that should come up and just because you have questions that are hard or just because you have questions that are personal it does not mean that God's truth is not applied in your life it does not mean that it is untrue just because you have feelings uh, that, that are hurt when you read it. Please understand this. If we hear this text today, if we hear this text today, it, it will bring, it will bring freedom to our lives in being able to see and grasp hold of to receive the gospel of Jesus. We need this truth, though it is hard. Okay? So Paul gives a way to ask questions. And, I, and I, I believe you just need to know, we can go to God with our questions. We can know that God is trustworthy. We can be sure that God is good. All right. With that being said, let's jump into our outline. Chapter three, verse nine through 25. I want you to first see here in the text, our condition. And remember, we, this has been something Paul's been talking about for a while. Our condition, this is why we need Grace, this is why we need gospel, okay? Our condition and the reality of our sin. Paul, verse nine says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. There are advantages to being a Jew because you have God's word, but are you better off in terms of salvation? He says, no, not at all. Not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Welcome to ABC, you know, this morning, yeah. Uh, you know, everybody, listen, everybody, the Bible says, is born under sin. So look with me there at your outline there. I want you to see our condition, the reality of our sin. A there, everyone on the planet is under sin. Everyone on the planet is under sin. Ephesians chapter two tells us truth like this. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in your sin. Verse three of chapter two, that you were a, by nature, not by choice, you were by nature. That's even bigger than choice, okay? 
by nature. Guess what? It says you are a child of wrath like the rest of mankind. John chapter 3, Jesus very clearly says that the Son of Man came into the world to do what? To save. Okay, so those who believe are not condemned, but those who do not believe, Jesus says, are condemned already. They're under sin. They're under sin. Everyone on the planet, according to the Bible, is under sin. Now, we're about to see uh, truth, and you'll you'll see it there in in B. We're going to see how our sin has affected every part of who we are. And I want to be clear about something. This does not mean that every person is are equally sinful. Okay, like every person is not as sinful as they could be. Like there is evil that you could do that you have not done. Okay, but what this means is that everyone, and I'm going to use a scriptural statement here, that everyone on the planet we're all equally lost. We may not be equally sinful in the way that we live or the things that we do. We don't even live the same amount of years, okay? So, uh, you know, there, there's somebody in the room that does worse things than someone else, okay? Like, I, like I, I know that is the case. But we are equally lost. And what this text does for us is it's gonna walk us through how our sin affects every part of who we are. And so though we may not be utterly depraved in the sense that we could be worse, every part of our life, every part of who we are has been tainted by sin, has been marred by sin. And Paul is gonna walk us through this truth. Now, real quick illustration. Do we have any swimmers here with the kids? Any kids in the house? We got any swimmers? Josiah's a swimmer. Josiah, you're a pretty good swimmer. I've seen you swim before. All right, Josiah's a good swimmer. Do we have anybody in the room? Let's not go kid. Do we have anybody in the room that's like, I can't swim a lick? And we got, we got anybody in the room? Somebody, okay. We got somebody. You can't swim at all. Okay, like, I can't swim. Josiah's a good swimmer. We're going to add a third person, Michael Phelps. Okay? <laughs> All right, so we've got Michael Phelps. Just imagine they were, they were standing up here. We've got Michael Phelps, we've got Josiah, and we've got a couple of my, my friends here that say, I can't swim at all. Okay, now let's imagine that you were given a task to swim from Hawaii to Japan. That's a long way. Okay, and so from Hawaii to Japan, you begin to swim. Now my buddies that can't swim a lick, they get in the water and they go down. Like you made it three feet. Okay, you didn't go very far. Josiah, Josiah's a good swimmer. I've seen him swim, but like he swims for a little bit. He doesn't get that far and he goes down. Michael Phelps is amazing swimmer. He gets going, let's say he makes it 30 miles, which he wouldn't, but let's say he did. He makes it 30 miles. Guess what? He's not to Japan and he sinks. Okay, so it's different in their ability to go there, but but they can't make it. They can't make it all the way to their destination. Here's what the Bible does that just kicks everything up a notch is it's not that we're even swimming towards the destination. We're not swimming at all. We're not even going in the same direction. We're going in a different direction. We don't desire God naturally. We don't desire him. So it's not even that we couldn't swim far enough. It's that we were swimming the wrong way. 
Uh, Ephesians, it's not that, you know, like I, I used to see the illustration a lot, you know, where you had like the chasm and you got the kid that runs and tries to jump and they can't jump far enough. It's not they couldn't jump far enough, it's that they were dead. Like that's the way the scripture talks. Like it, 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 it's like a, a one-up card, like so that you will stop trying to justify who you are and what you're like. The Bible says that we are all under sin, everyone on the planet, and our sin has affected every part of who we are. Look, look at these verses. Look at starting in verse uh, 10. Paul is going to quote from, and we'll talk a little bit about these next week uh, as well. And so I'm not going to get too much in the details of them, but there are six different Old Testament passages that Paul's going to link together as he makes this argument, this closing argument here that you need God's grace. Okay. And so he begins, he says, you know, that Jews and Greeks, and that just means everyone. Okay. That everyone, we're all under sin as it's written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside and together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now, remember what I've already said. This is how this affects every part of us. It doesn't mean that you've never done a good thing. Okay, like it doesn't mean that people don't do good things. It means that even our good things we do are marred by sin. It, it doesn't mean that like, like every part of us has been tainted with sin. And that's what scripture is telling us and proclaiming to us today. All have turned aside together. They become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Listen, this is a a really well-worded picture of what happened in the garden. In the garden, we had Adam and Eve, they, they sin against the Lord. The, the fall of man occurs and everything that was once whole is now broken. And you have Adam and Eve not in fellowship with God, not seeking God, not going to God. We have them hiding from God. We have Adam and Eve who were just full of life. They were full of life. They were without shame. Now we have them trying to cover up their lives ashamed of who they are now. We have Adam and Eve who were in love, had a great relationship with one another. Now they're beginning to use their mouths to blame each other. And we have this broken relationship, a, a wrong relationship now with, within uh, their relationships that they had, with, even with one another. We have this brokenness that falls. And, and, and what we see is this, is that in this text, we see that every part of our life is now stained with the taste of sin, with the bitterness of sin. It's, it's in uh, every single thing. It's our, our desire for God, our, our minds, our motives, our wills, our tongues, our relationships. Everything is now marred by sin. None is righteous. No, not one. Now, when I began to think through this, I, I was trying to imagine a 
story and illustration, some way to picture this. And, and so I did what any preacher would do. And I began to think about my own life. And I was trying to think what my kids did this week. And then I was like, well, they'll be in the room. So I can't talk about them. And, you know, I started thinking through all of these things. And, and, and at the end of it, what I came to the conclusion was, is man, why don't you illustrate with scripture? So I will. Ezekiel chapter 37. It's a great, a great little text to use, especially this month for all you that are going to dress up tonight and for all the trick-or-treating that's going to go on and all the candy you'll get. This is just a good one uh, to use. This is the Valley of the Dry Bones. And Ezekiel, who sometimes I like to call Zeke, not kidding. He seemed like the youth pastor of the prophet, so I call him, I call him Zeke. But Ezekiel is going to write about, in Ezekiel 37, he, he writes about this scene. And it's a scene where the Lord is going to take him and he places him in a valley where he's overlooking a graveyard. He's overlooking a valley and it's filled with dry bones. There is nothing but death here. The Lord begins to speak to Ezekiel and he says, Son of man, can these bones live? Now, I want you to imagine the scene. You're taken and you're in one of the, this is one of the grossest places you've ever been. This is one of the darkest scenes you've ever encountered. And there you're overlooking it. And the Lord says to you, can these bones come alive? Ezekiel is a smart man. I love what he says. He says, only you know, God. Only you know. See, Ezekiel is seeing an image of what we ought to feel. When we look at a passage, it says a throat's like an open grave. Nothing but, but, but death. You know, at first we want to try to argue and justify and say, no, I say sweet things. Like, you don't know, like, I'm a really nice person. I really do a lot of good things. I really do. We begin just to talk through our entire life until we realize even those things, even the best part of you is tainted with, it is marred by sin. May by God's grace, we see our state outside of Jesus Christ as just an open graveyard. Ezekiel, can these bones live? We'll come back there in just a second. I, I want to take you to the next section here of the scripture. We've seen everyone on the planet is under sin. And though we did not go in great detail, we see there in verses nine through 18 that our sins affected every part of who we are. Namely this, that we do not desire, we do not seek God. It's affected the way we view him. None are righteous. There at the end, there's no fear of God before our eyes. It's affected the way we view God in the rest of our entire life. But we also see God's word and how it removes our ability to justify ourselves any longer. I hope there is a guy in the room who tries to justify themselves more than me. 
because I will feel good about myself a little better, okay? Like, I, I hope there's a talker in the room that tries to out-talk their life more than me. If I have things that go wrong, I'm about to be transparent with you. If I have, you know, I get called out for something, I get critiqued, I get this, my natural response, I'm not saying my God-given, spirit-empowered response. No, I'm not saying that. I'm giving you my human, fleshly, uh, Colby response is to this, is to begin to justify. That's just what I do. Uh, I, I thought I was a little more manly about it than that. The other night in our life group, Catherine was telling everybody, she was like, yeah, when Colby, when, when Colby gets uh, upset about something, he just follows me around and whines. You know, like that's what, <laughs> that's what, that's what he said. And I was like, what? Are you serious? Uh, you know, and it's better than that, I think. No, okay, no, I really, at the end of the day, here, here's the thing. Am I, uh, I, I just try to justify myself. You know, like, like it's like my shirt. No, it does fit. It does fit. You don't know. You can't see. Uh, you know, like, you know, it's like, that. you know, like it's, it's trying to justify your life. Talk your way out of the flaws in your life. When it comes to something ultimate, man, how many people, how many times have probably all of us in this room tried to attempt to justify our circumstances in our hearts, even before the Lord but surely he doesn't mean that. Surely we're not that bad. Surely it's not this. And and we begin to try to justify. Please hear God's word. It's just so powerful. Verse 19 and 20, listen. Paul says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who were under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Do you understand the grace that can come when our mouths are shut? When we stop trying to justify, when we stop trying to talk our way out, when we just listen? It's one of the most difficult lessons in life for me is just to listen, to listen. But that is what what Paul is saying is, if you have heard me correctly, in fact, if you've heard God's word from cover to cover rightly, you will know that you have no place to talk. You need grace. Verse 20, key verse in all of chapter 3. For by works of the law, by a key verse, actually the part about Jesus is going to be the key verse. Key verse in getting us there. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That is where the mic can drop. Paul has made this argument. You need good news. You need a righteousness that comes outside of you. You can't do enough good to please the Lord. Think about all the questions that people ask. Think about the times if you grew up going door to door, if you go up and you say, hey, if you were to die tonight, what would you say to the Lord at his, at his judgment? You know, and you would be like, uh, I did a lot of good things. I went to church. I, I did. No. 
Like that doesn't work. That's not even, that doesn't even make sense when we read the Bible. When we read the Bible, we understand it's not about whether or not we have pleased God or done enough good to please him. It's not even possible for us to do that. And he's not calling us to try to do that. God, by his grace, is telling us, stop it. Just listen to me. Shut your mouth. Shut your mouth and listen to my words of good news. Done. He can't do it. And this should bring freedom. You can't do it. God removes our ability to justify ourselves any longer. Please stop justifying yourself. I don't care how long you've been at church. I don't care how many mission trips you went on. It doesn't matter all those things. Those are advantages to you. But are you any better off? No, no. What we need to do Close your mouth. Speak to me, Lord. Tell me the news. And here it is. We don't just see our condition and the reality of our sin. We see the cure and the reality of the gospel. Listen to these sweet words. We will dive into them next week. I cannot wait. I've been waiting to get to this point. Here we go. Verse 21. Let's read 20 again. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now, isn't that sweet? But now, there's a new way, there's a better way. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. There's something else, there's another way apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. That's what Paul's been showing. He's showing us through the Old Testament. He's showing us this is what I've been, the Lord's been telling you the whole time that you need his righteousness by faith. That's what he's been saying the whole time. But he says, the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. By what? By his grace as a gift. How sweet is that? His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Here at church, we need God's gift of grace. If you're in Christ today, it's because gift has been granted to you. It's because you've received a gift. And that gift is Jesus Christ who died in your place and rose to give you life. It's because you have his righteousness. That's why. Go back to Ezekiel. Ezekiel is standing there with the Lord. Ezekiel, can these bones, son of man, can these bones live? Only you know. Ezekiel, preach to the bones. Prophesy to the bones. Talk to the bones. Tell them that I'll bring life to them. And he begins to, he begins to preach. And guess what? The bones begin to rattle. They begin to come together. And it turns into a, what appears to be like a zombie show here. They come together and they're all standing up lifeless. The bones have come together. They now have tendons and muscle and skin and they stand up, but there's no life in them. 
And he said, speak over them that the breath of God will be placed into their lungs. And God, as if, as he speaks, it just, and they live. They live. The bones come to life and the people stand and they unite together. And it says they're an exceedingly great army. Paul tells us that you were dead in your sins. You followed the prince of the power of the air. You're a child of wrath like the rest of mankind. But then he says, but God, but God, who's rich in mercy, has done what? He's provided us Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, the one who by his grace offers us salvation, not based on our works that a man should boast, but just sheer grace. And he gives it to us. Listen, today, if, if you are a person, I'll, I'll, our musicians, you can come up. If, if, you're a, if you're a person that's here today and you think that, that church is about you being good, you think it's about you getting dressed up and looking better. If you think that church is about doing things so that God will be happy with you, I want you to know that's not what we find in God's word. That's not the good news of Jesus. What we find in the Bible, what we find in the good news of Jesus is not good people who were made better. We see a gospel of dead people who were made alive. We see a gospel of people who were far off, who were brought near. We see a gospel where people, where it can be a king and a peasant, and somehow they're brought to the exact same table because of their need for grace. That's the kind of good news we're talking about. This is a good news that's worthy of our entire lives, worthy of our lips proclaiming it, worthy of singing about it. This is good news. Church today, I, I pray if you, if you sit here, if you're in this room and you have known Christ, you have known his word, you've believed for years, but, but you find uh, little spells of, of dryness. It's probably because you have forgotten, you have walked away from the sheer grace that you've received in Jesus. Come back today. Cling to that truth today. That our only hope is in the gift of grace that comes through a righteousness outside of us is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you don't know Jesus today, if you came in the room thinking that, that life is about being better and God will love me, no, that's not true. That's not true. What you need today is this, the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Believe today. Believe today. May your sin feel bitter. May Christ be sweet. Stand as we respond to God's word today. Father, we, we love you and we thank you for your word.